Good morning, everyone. Unworthy, unable, but called. What a resume. Um, and it is, isn't it? Unworthy, unable, but called. But we are called by his grace. Astounding. Uh, last week, Catherine uh, came up to me, uh, as we occasionally do. We talk. Um, <laughs> kind of made it sound a bit bigger than what it was. Uh, and she just said, look, I read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, and quite frankly, it's a bit much. There's a lot there. Uh, it's, a, it's a long sentence, as Shane was saying, filled with rich blessing. It's kind of like putting too much of your favourite food in your mouth all at once, and you're unable to actually chew, uh, to be able to start ingesting it and enjoying it. And thankfully... Uh, we have had the time over the last three weeks to be able to take small bites to be able uh, to chew on it and not risk choking or spitting it out. Uh, And it's been a blessing to be able to see what God has done for us who were unworthy, unable, but called. This morning marks the end of our series in Ephesians The first week we considered the blessings that we have been born into. That even before we were born, even before creation took its first breath, we were chosen to be his people, to be holy and blameless before him in his sight. And even more, we were considering the heights of glory that we have been called into in that choosing, that we would be called sons of God. Adopted into his family. Destiny. It's our destiny to be his sons. That all believers would come into the intimacy of God's very family and stand before him. The second week we considered the blessings of how it is that we are moved from being a place where we are unworthy. Where we rejected him. Where we were caught up in our sin, we said, chained by guilt, held captive and brought then into the family of God. How we shifted from one to the other, that's because we are redeemed. Because we have been forgiven at the cost of the Son of God. Through the payment of Jesus' own life, we were set free because he took all of that guilt and that shame to the grave with him and so we have been truly forgiven and then we considered the day that is to come when Jesus would return when that redemption would come into its fullness and that we along with all of creation would come into unity completely with Jesus Christ the day that sets ahead And all of those blessings from God that we have read and that we have heard about over the last few weeks as we've read and sung and listened have taken us from before creation all the way up to the day that Jesus returns. And if it was to stop there, we would be rich. If it was to stop there, we would have enough for the rest of eternity to be filled with joy and wonder and to be caught up in his praise. It would be enough to fill us, to meditate on forever. But still God gives more. 
he continues even then to pour more blessings upon his chosen people. This week, we look at the blessing of our inheritance as his children. The life that follows on from that moment when Christ returns on into eternity. And just when we thought we were rich enough, he continues to give. So let us pray this morning before we go any further, as we have in the weeks before, that God would open his, our eyes, not his eyes, our eyes, that he would wake us up to his grace. Some of the things that we've become overly accustomed to and used to in our lives, the taken for granted, maybe. And that we would see him this morning and what he has done and the overwhelming beauty of our inheritance through Jesus. And that we would praise. Not by law or by duty, but praise because how could we not? And it's my ongoing hope and a prayer for us all this morning and for the rest of our lives that this would be where we were. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, unworthy, unable, but called. And Lord, even in this blessed position that we are in, having received so many blessings from you, the sin still burns within us, Lord, and blinds us to your beauty, makes us dull to your wonder. And Father, I pray this morning that you would, in a continuing outpouring of your grace, Lord, that you would take away the dullness of our eyes, of our hearts, Lord. And that we'd be caught up in the astounding work of your inheritance that we have received through your Son, of the privilege that we have, and then the beauty that you possess, Lord, your beauty. Let these be more than words to us, Lord, but life and joy and hope and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, my parents are still alive, so I haven't actually received much of an inheritance from them yet. Just the odd nicks and knacks that have trickled down to me from my grandparents and great-grandparents. Some things that, all the things that really mum and dad and my uncles and aunties didn't want. Most notable among these odds and ends was a folder filled with sermon notes that was unintelligible. Uh, there was an ancient camera that didn't work and a shaver that hadn't ever been emptied until it fell into my lap uh, and my grandfather's follicles were all over my pants. <laughs> Whether you have had similar experiences to this or not, the inheritance we get from our parents is nothing like what we get from God. Thankfully. First off, our inheritance is not what trickles down and what if whatever is left over after Jesus has picked out the things that he wants. We're not left with the equivalent of a divine shaver. Uh, 
We have already seen in our passage of Ephesians that God has poured out blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon the people that he has chosen. We don't now come to the inheritance and suddenly find the limit of his generosity. That it goes no further. Instead, we find that in our adoption, that we were brought in to, the, to be co-heirs with Christ as the firstborn. We weren't born or reborn as second children or third or fourth, but as co-heirs with Christ. And so finally, the great truth that we've been searching for has been answered. Being a firstborn is better than being a second or a third. The privileges are better. We get everything. We get everything in Christ. The full inheritance is ours. But what is that inheritance that the firstborn receives? As we said, it's not a shaver. It's God. It's God. He is our inheritance. And what does that mean? And this is where preaching has its greatest delight and becomes incredibly troublesome all at the same time. Because how do you describe the things that you've only seen in part? How do you describe the indescribable? The glory of God, his majesty, the wonder of receiving a relationship with him. In receiving, uh, in reading Spurgeon, because who else do you go to to describe the indescribable? He says, just from a few of his words, that the inheritance of God is exceedingly broad. It is exceedingly desirable and it is full of variety. And he means by this is that it is broad in that its breadth and its length is immeasurable. The deep knowledge, the spiritual experience, the high joy, the extreme delight and the heavenly communion of the saints that we inherit has no limit and can be enjoyed without limits, no longer bound by our old nature because it's done and dealt with. We will be free to enjoy God without limit, without restraint. And we can delight and enjoy in him and he can delight and enjoy us. Our transformation into the likeness of Christ will be complete. And the relationship that he has, that Christ has with his father, will be ours. And if we consider that for a moment, that our relationship with the father is the same as that of of Christ as man, we will be the perfect reflection of his glory. Jeff, can I have that first picture up, please? If we take a look at this. I took this while fishing on my kayak at my Ponga Reservoir. And you can see in the water a reflection of the clouds, of the sky, of the trees and the land. And the water has to be in a particular state to be able to reflect the sky and the land like that. It has to be peaceful. It has to be calm and still without turbulence. Well, this is the same 
as the Christian, the believer. This is our state in our inheritance with God. We reflect him perfectly because finally we are at peace with him. No sin to disturb the waters. At the moment, we look more a bit like the next photo, which is, again, fishing, because that's what I do. Uh, This is that sea cliff. We can still see something of a reflection in the current life of a believer. We can still see some of the blue of the sky, but we can't make out any of the details of the land. There's too much turbulence in the water. There is not a total peace there. And before Christ, before we are believers at all, I don't have a third picture of this, but if you've been down to the south coast at the moment, the water's not blue anymore. With the amount of water that's coming, fresh water from the Murray, it's all turned green and brown. It's not reflecting the sky. The water's churning up brown foam across the beaches and there are dead fish everywhere. But that is our past. Our future is a perfect reflection of Christ. Peace with him. True peace with God. Our inheritance is exceedingly desirable and full of variety because we have all things. We will not have to go anywhere else. There will be no part of us that still wants no dissatisfaction at all in heaven. We can't even imagine it, can we? This is the frustration of describing the inheritance that we receive in heaven. And it's a brief description, too brief almost to bear, that this will be our life our real life, finally. It is a life which has people like Paul saying to us, even in times of tribulation, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's more. So great is our inheritance that Paul says it will not only shape our lives when we are living in its fullness in the days to come in our eternity, but so great is it that it shapes how we live even now. In the present, the hope, the splendor, the grace of it. It is for this reason that we've been given a glimpse of what it is that is to come in this passage so that we who were first to set our hope in Christ, might live to the praise of his glory even now. I wonder if you remember the Old Testament story of Daniel and the lion's den. At this time, King Darius of Babylon desired the praise of his people. With the helpful suggestions of his wise men, Darius sets out to secure that praise by creating a law. No one is allowed to pray to any god or human or anything else other than King Darius for 30 days. If anyone is caught doing otherwise, they'll be thrown into the lion's den. Now, the fuller story we know is that King Darius is being fooled by his wise men so that they can capture Daniel as he prays to God and have him killed. But in that moment... 
Darius desires the praise of his people. Now, the law that he created wasn't complex. It boiled down to praise me or die. And it's humanity's most common method. It flexes the muscles of power and fear over the people. And importantly, it places all of the cost of that praise on those who are being asked to do the praising. It was the people that had to stop what they were doing that felt the guilt over forsaking their gods, that paid the penalty of death if they disobeyed. But this isn't God's method of securing the praise of his people. The end of verse 12 gives us the reason that we have an inheritance, that we might live to praise him. God, like Darius, desires the praise of his chosen. But unlike Darius, God doesn't demand his praise. He inspires it from his people. He doesn't use law, praise me or else. He uses grace and love. He gains the praise of his people by pouring upon them undeserved gift upon undeserved gift and blessing upon blessing of such incredible value that the people receiving it don't even understand the limits of how valuable those blessings are. The peak of which is redemption and sonship. And the cost of it, it doesn't come out of the people. It came out of his own son. He didn't lay upon us the cost of praising him. The gift of redemption from sin, the gift of our sonship was paid paid entirely by him. And then if it wasn't enough, he makes no demand. There's no demand in this text, no instruction. There is no debt being called due that we need to repay his blessings. They're purely free. If there was a debt, it wouldn't be grace anymore. God simply lets his overwhelming goodness, his nature, wash over his chosen people. And it is there then in that freedom that we see now, even now, a glimpse of his glory. Of the way that he interacts with his people. That he makes his name known and secures his people. And it's in that moment of seeing him that we praise. Not because we have to, because it's the right moral thing to do, or we're duty bound, but just because how could we not? How could we not when facing such incredible, breathtaking majesty? This is why we're given an inheritance so that we can be caught up in a deep and true praise of him for all of eternity. And if you think God is selfish in the way that he is doing things, that he's manipulating his people to get what he wants, then you haven't seen God. You haven't seen his glory yet, because how can you have tasted that goodness? 
the goodness that he pours on those people, on his people, and not praised. And those here this morning, you, have seen and you've glimpsed him. I know I've got the text messages that have rejoiced in God. Because living for his praise is the most wonderful gift of his inheritance that we have received. His self-orientation has led to the redemption of all who believe and living for his praise is our inheritance. And there's a day coming, as we have said, where we will be able to do this for eternity without restraint anymore. Without sin getting in the way. Without limitation. In Matthew 12, Jesus gives us a parable describing the value and the impact that possession of such an inheritance has upon people. Not only in the future, but now. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom is like a a merchant in search of a fine pearl. On finding one pearl of great value, he sold all that he had to possess it. So great is the inheritance we receive that we would happily give up all the treasures of the world to have it, to possess it. And we do possess it. But the cost didn't come from us. It came from Jesus. You and I are destined to possess it as heirs of Christ. in its total and fullness as blessings given by grace. And it is an incredible tragedy, really, when someone we love passes away, but even more so when the inheritance that is passed down is fought over and tears families apart. And it happens often, which is why we have legal wills, when people so desperately desire an inheritance and they fear not getting what they want. We too are a people that are desperate with desire for this inheritance. More so even than those who would fight over worldly things. Why wouldn't we be? Our inheritance will never fade, never rust, never decay. Yet, we have been blessed with the seal of the Holy Spirit that sits upon us and guarantees that we will inherit the fullness. There is no bickering or fighting here amongst the children of God because we have been guaranteed our share, secure in it. From the moment we believed in Jesus as our one and only saviour, God knows that we are going to need a security. Something that is going to guarantee us and fill us with hope for the now. 
something that will safeguard us from drifting away and fix our eyes upon him again and again. And so he gives us the spirit that we might that he might drive from us all need of any other security. Another way of reading this passage is that the Holy Spirit is a down payment of the full inheritance that we will receive. A small piece of that fuller inheritance. Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 recounts a difficult time or recounts his life. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, hungry and thirsty without food, cold and naked. And if that wasn't enough, I am filled with the daily pressure of anxiety for all of the churches. How could Paul keep going and hold hope for the life to come and stand fast in Christ with a life that looked like that? Because the presence of the Spirit was given to him. Because he had tasted a piece of his eternal inheritance in the Spirit. He tasted a piece of his everlasting peace with the Father. And in Paul's own words of encouragement to Timothy in times of trouble, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control, that we might be kept secure and held fast by him so that we might inherit receive our inheritance. Not only does he give us the inheritance, but he holds us fast so that we'll secure it, so that we'll have it. That we might say, as Paul does, to live as Christ, to die as gain for the rest of our lives while on earth. Knowing all the riches of God that lay ahead of us and knowing that we are not at risk ever of losing it. Now, as we draw to the end of this sermon, I want to ask a final question. How is it that we have become so rich in blessing? To be able to say, I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, guaranteed. Verse 6 says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's Jesus. If I have found myself to accidentally start jumping in this series, as my son did when hearing about pizza for breakfast, the overwhelming grace that has been poured out on us in Jesus has been what's done it.
the word that we have encountered here has expanded my understanding and my heart in comprehending what it is to praise God or what it is that we're praising God for. Too often I myself have limited my praise of God to the action of the cross. That as a climax of grace, that that is where it stopped. But I see the cross now as a point in which I was brought in to the tapestry of grace. That started at the beginning of eternity and continues to the other side. The place where we were born anew into the unity of Jesus. And like the newborn that we spoke of weeks ago, to find only to our own surprise and delight that we have blessing upon blessing that is prepared and ready for us just to arrive and to enjoy forever. Just as we have been praying that we would be awoken from any dullness and presumption over the familiarity with the grace of God, many of you over the last few weeks have rejoiced. What an answer to prayer that is. That God is eager to make himself known to us. That even now he continues to pour his blessings upon us through the spirit. To show to us these pieces of our inheritance that will come, that we will come into our fullness in time. While we're drawing to a close this morning and in this series, can I encourage you in an odd way (laughs) that if you have rejoiced in anything that we have heard over the last few weeks, don't be satisfied with it. There is so much more. This is only a taste of eternity, but we have more even in the word that we have available to us now. And as we have seen, God is eager to make himself known to pour out his blessings. And my ongoing prayer for this series and for the, for the remainder of our time while here on earth is that we would be continually filled with a desire for him, that we might rejoice and praise the rest of our days, even in times of hardship. As with other weeks, I'm going to pray now Paul's prayer that follows our passage. A passage that, even as I've been preaching it um, and praying it over the last few weeks, has continued to grow richer and richer as well. And then we'll sing a very familiar song. Let's pray. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the work working of his great power. 
God put this work, this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your grace towards your people. That knows no end. Thank you that you never placed a demand upon our praise, but showed your heart to us. Thank you for your son who paid the price that we might be redeemed, that we might be in a place where we receive inheritance, where we might praise your name for all of eternity. Lord God, thank you for answering our prayer as we have been praying over these last few weeks. That even now, secure in you, that we might be alive to you. Rejoicing and praising your name. Lord, guard us from our dullness and forgive us for our dullness. Father, thank you that you continue to make yourself known to us. And we look forward to the day, Lord, where we can be with you in all of eternity, united in Christ and receiving the fullness of a relationship with you in our inheritance. Lord, may this, if it doesn't loom large in our minds, Lord, grow it. I pray. If there are any here this morning that aren't rejoicing, that don't hear the hope in this, in your word, continue to open our eyes to you, to the freedom of your gospel. And let it be the thing that we carry out from these doors, Lord, into the rest of our week. Not to become dull and dusty on a bookshelf, but something, Lord, that we continually seek to grow, to water with your word and to rejoice over with all that are around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.